Hello and welcome to Kvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend Ellie Cawthorn to journey through Iceland's cinematic landscape. It's a new year, a new series, and there's loads of good stuff for us to get stuck into. As with previous series, we talk about films from the last two decades of Icelandic cinema to uncover unlikely stories and characters unique to the land of ice and fire. This time round, we're hoping to be somewhat ahead of the curve by covering some films as they are released, beginning with this week's film, Beautiful Beings, or Bedreini, from director Guzmander Arna Guzmundsson. Released in the UK on the 30th of January, this is a harsh look at violence of all kinds, focusing on a group of teenagers in a Reykjavik suburb. With fantastic performances all round, especially from its young cast, director Guzmundsson follows up Heartstone with another cracker. Before we begin, just a quick reminder that we're on social media and you should definitely follow us. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Kvikminderpod, that's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D, and you can subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd appreciate a rating and or review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you listen there, and if you're feeling extra generous, we have a Ko-fi page where you can support us if you like what you hear. All our links can be found on Insta, Twitter, and in the show notes. Please be warned, Beautiful Beings doesn't shy away from its subject matter with on and off screen depictions of violence and bullying. So please consider this a trigger warning for the film. Over to me and Ellie. Happy New Year, Ellie. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me at your new pad. Just two minutes down the road from me. I know. How good is that? Very convenient. Yeah. And I've got so much more space. We've actually got room to sit and have computers out and like not be all on top of each other. A glimpse of behind the scenes there. Yeah. Anyway, it's 2023. A new year. New house. New series of... New me. Kvick Minderpod. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there a new you? No, definitely not. The no same New Year's resolutions. Tired, haggard me from 2022. Still here. Yeah. I thought I thought that this would be a fresh new start, but already... No, no. Tired. But yes, we're going to do another series. This is series five. What? What? I know, insane. It's been two years since we started this podcast. <laughs> that is actually crazy, isn't it? Somebody said to me recently that it's almost three years since lockdown, the first lockdown, and I could not believe that. Three years since the first lockdown? Yeah. Think about it. Wow. Time flies. It really does. But yeah, this series is going to be a bit different. I think we're going to drop episodes every now and then rather than every single Monday or Friday for a six-week period. Keep people on tent hooks. Yeah, so everyone just keep your eyes on your podcast feeds. There's a lot of good new stuff coming out, so we're going to sort of try and cover those films as and when they drop. Um, and we might do a couple of other films in between. But it's going to be a bit more sporadic because life is starting to get in the way a bit more uh, these days. Uh, but we're starting 2023, Series 5, with quite an amazing film called Beautiful Beings. Beautiful in some ways, hideous, upsetting and brutal in other ways. Very, very true. Yeah, this is Guthmunder Arna Guthmundsson's follow-up to Heartstone, which we covered a couple of series ago, which we really loved i think mm. um Beardremi in icelandic and basically it's another sort of teen kind of coming of age film mm. um this time not set out in the countryside but set in the kind of suburbs of Reykjavik isn't it yeah and again it's about the challenges of deprivation violent families or unreliable families trying to kind of forge your own identity against a lot of difficult surroundings. Mm. Quite similar to Let Me Fall in some ways as well. Yeah. Hey, 
Hvernig vissir þú að vera að koma á? Ertu skip? Mamma, hvað varstu til að mér í draumi í lúft? Svenni kom aftur heim. Gera hann hægur. Gera eitthvað við þig að sista þín. Sumt er ekki okkar til að hafa áhrif á. Ég reyndi alltaf vinu mína. Það er okkur risastór örn og tók mig á loft. Einu sinni dreymdi mig að ég var með vinu mínum. Bally, a young teenager from a low socioeconomic background, is a target of constant bullying at school when fellow teen Addy invites him to hang out with his group of friends, including Siggy and Connie. With absent or abusive parents, the kids are left to negotiate the relatively boring but often violent life of teens in the city. Now that sounds quite heavy, but quite straightforward. However, running alongside the realism is a streak of supernaturalism mm. in the form of Addy and his mother's psychic visions, visions that may point to a devastating conclusion. Yeah, strange combo, isn't it, really? Because mm. we've got a kind of kitchen sink drama about the struggle of life in a violent home and, and you know, the challenges of, as you say, deprivation and difficult families. And then we've got, yeah, this really strange supernatural element thrown in there as well, mm. which I think added to this. What do you think? Well, I wasn't sure about this on first watch because uh, I watched this for the first time pre-Christmas when we thought it was going to be released on December the 19th. Uh, and basically the BBFC made a cut and it's been pushed back and is now released on January the 30th. Oh, did you see the bit that's been cut then? I did, yeah. And <gasps> we'll talk about that in a little bit. Interesting. Um, but on first watch, I was a bit like, what's this supernatural stuff going on? It feels a bit like, is antithetical the right word? Yeah. To the main plot of the story. Like it feels mm. so realistic and then suddenly we've got this boy dreaming about Falling flying with buildings. an eagle and yeah, all these weird visions. But actually on second watch, this is why a second watch can be so fruitful, is that actually I was able to understand what he was seeing, why mm. it might influence the plot more. Uh, but it still feels very strange to have this supernatural because we've not really seen anything supernatural apart from vampires and demons but i guess what this does well is that the supernatural elements are fairly nuanced or a bit you know they're up, up for interpretation so you could say oh he's just having these kind of evocative dreams mm. or um he's having some kind of you know mental health hallucination yeah you could interpret it that way. I don't think it's like, it's not like a fairy just flying in and doing something. It's it, it's <laughs> in the context of, it's very much his experience that's coming from his mind. Do you see what I mean? Yes, but we also got his mother who yeah. has the same kind of visions mm. and appears in his visions. And she's kind of, you mentioned the fairy godmother. She's kind mm. of that figure in a way. Obviously, she's his mother, but she kind kind of directs him and sort of explains like what the visions might mean or or even not to act on what he sees kinds of things this is Addy we're talking about mm. isn't it see I I do actually think having said oh you could interpret it as a dream or a, a hallucination I do think it's intended as a supernatural element but I think what I quite like how it's kind of unglamorized and it's just embedded into that world yeah. I'm reading um, Beyond Black by Hilary Mantel at the moment. Okay. And that's about, um, it's, a, it's a fairly old book. It's from the 2000s, but it's about a medium, a psychic who like, you know, tours, you know, Bolton Civic Hall or whatever, um, <laughs> does the usual like medium stuff, but can genuinely see dead people. And it's okay. about how like that supernatural element is like integrated into like the mundanity. So like when you stop at a service station, 
mm-hmm. and you've got a spirit guide with you, how you've got to wait for them to get in the car before you can drive <laughs> off from the service station. And to me, this felt kind of quite nicely built into the normal stuff. Yeah, it didn't feel, especially visually, it didn't feel mm. different to the rest of it. I agree. But let's start at the beginning. Got um, ahead of ourselves. We jumped ahead a little bit, but that's that's fine. It's just this is such a realistic film, a portrayal of life in Reykjavik in the early noughties. I think that's when it's set. Certainly the phones we see, the kind of lack of things to do. Uh, the cigarettes. This film must be sponsored oh by my cigarettes. God. My God, I've never seen so many in a film. Um but we're back in the early noughties in Reykjavik, which is a time, according to the news and according to some stuff I read online, when violence amongst teens was rife in the city. Uh, and there was a massive study done in 2004 by someone called Gerda Run Gudlaugsdottir. And it basically said, yeah, violent behaviour among adolescents is on the rise. This is due to kind of home life, negative events at home and all sorts of other factors, but it was really kind of a terrible thing that was happening at the time. And I guess that kind of runs hand in hand with what we learned in Let Me Fall, which was the kind of drugs epidemic that was happening. So we're sort of plunged right into this time and place where, yeah, kids are just aggressive, especially (laughs) the boys are aggressive anyway. Uh, And we see Bally and he's, poor Bally. Mm. He comes from this broken home uh, he lives with his mum and his sister sometimes. And just visually, you know that he's... He's such a tragic figure. Yeah. I think often in films as well, you know, kids who are shown as being from uh, bro- a difficult homes, that they're, they're actually, like, incredibly attractive. Or, you know, they've put them in some rubbish clothes, but they've made them really appealing and smart <laughs> and yeah. charming, despite it all. Whereas... He's not, he really, you can tell how he's kind of been broken by this. And he's not particularly an appealing character. Apart from he, you know, we find out he does have a, a kind heart ultimately deep down. But he he's kind of, the way he even carries himself, he's like cringing through mm. life and like trying to make himself smaller in the way that he walks and the way. Yeah, hunched over. And... Yeah, and it's such like a, it sounds so horrible to say he's like a pathetic figure, but he is. Mm-hmm. That's what his life has made him. Yeah, and what we don't know is why that is. We see his mum's obviously sort of a recluse or more of a kind of absent figure. She's she's there, we learn that she buys him food and then disappears for ages. Neglectful. Ne- neglectful, that's the word, isn't it? Yeah, so he spends a lot of his time at home in a dirty home because why should he clean up? Which is an attitude obviously been passed down to him. But he also is, you know, tw- how old is he? I 13, think that's 13 four, 14, 14. Yeah. Like 14 year old boys are not going to be the best cleaners. In it's the- true. It's <laughs> very true. In the best of situations. But yeah, that, that home, the scene of his flat is so grimy and depressing, and everything looks like caked in years of muck and dirt. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's pretty grim. It's not dog poo on the floor. It's dog sick. Yeah. It is interesting, though. We see so much of what what may have made him how he is. But there's so much more that we learn throughout the film. (laughs) Carter, get off. Gunnar Sjón fyrir sem er að þetta. Er þetta að skera þig? Er þetta eitthvað heimskur eða? Nákvæmlega, heimskur. Á Chico. Hvað er í þessu? Oh, 
Comment je vois Faire là-bas. Yeah, it really, the beginning really reminded me of the start of Let the Right One In. Uh, we see the scene of him being beaten by the boys, them telling him to scream, uh, him screaming, which is a horrible moment. Them putting his eagle jacket in the toilet and even hitting him with a tree. Like that, yeah. that's next level bullying. Like mm. it's just, I don't know, teens are the worst. Bullies are the worst. Like we, I spoke about this on the Evolution of Horror podcast. Like, in many ways, the horror of Let the Right One In is just the actual human nature mm. of bullying and childhood, not the vampires. And in this film, the horror of the whole film is violence, but the violence comes from children as well as adults. Mm. And it's it's uh, and you can tell that he's just totally alone at the beginning mm. of this film, completely alone, which is so sad. Which makes it really interesting when Addy decides to, to befriend, befriend him. And I still don't know why he does that. Like, they're obviously bored because we meet Addy, Siggy and Connie when they're burning books and they're just bored at lunchtime and stuff. And they're taking the piss out of Bally and his mask after he's been had his nose broken or whatever. And they're taking the piss. But then for some reason, Addy decides to make friends with him. Don't you think that Addy is the moral heart of this movie and really he's seeing that Bally is vulnerable and lonely and so he almost takes him under his wing as an act of kindness, I think. I think it's that simple. You think it's kindness? You mm. don't think it's just something to do? No, I think for the others it is and for the others, you know, these male friendship groups in when you're teenagers and it's the same for girls but in different ways, I think. Um, that then develop this, you know, hierarchy. And there's mm. got to be someone at the bottom that gets picked on. Yeah. And I think for the others, if they have Bally, then, for example, Siggy isn't the one getting beaten up. Sure. But you get getting blamed for everything or, or, you know, getting the piss taken out of him. They have a new person to to fill the bottom of the rung. Um, and you see that in all these ridiculous annoying teen boy fights they have all the time yeah <laughs> i mean one of my notes was just like oh god teen boys are the worst yeah like, you've got to just always be like fighting and like touching each other and like wrestling and i remember from school that being a thing like that the boys just i don't know whether there's some kind of tension that they had to work out there or it's a social hierarchy thing or both i think certainly both uh, they've always got to be like touching and wrestling and some kind of yeah i play I, I think my my friendship group yeah i was certainly lower down the hierarchy but it was mostly teasing like it was mm, yeah, yeah yeah it was not verbal bullying. not actual physical there was occasional physical stuff but like nowhere near as much like punching and like yeah. pushing and wrestling but the verbal stuff is horrible and harsh mm. on its own uh, I'm sort of glad that I didn't get beaten up like that, even in a, but in, in, in a friendship group yeah, as well. Yeah, I was going to say, because of course at the at the start we see the bullies um, treatment of Bally and then the way that they act within the friendship group and he becomes part of this friendship group, like you say, is quite toxic in some ways, fighting and teasing and always re like beating each other up, strangling each other. Well, that's just, I think, yeah, the, yeah. the strangling thing is, oh, we're bored, let's play a game. Yeah. That's not... I want to strangle you. But there's kind of that intimacy where they are beating up on each other, but it's kind of like a, a, in a different way to the bullies. It's Yeah. 
it's done in the way of like creating intimacy and reinforcing it. And... For sure. I think the film itself literally is about violence and the ki- different kinds of violence there is. And, you know, that's, yeah, bullying abusive parents or how it, yeah, creates friendship or manifests itself within a friendship group. And Bally for his poor, well, for his sins is, yeah, replaces Siggy in the lowest rung of that ladder. But Addy, I still, I feel like Addy didn't bring him in to, so Siggy doesn't get bullied as much. No. I'm not really, I'm not really sure why he cares so much. Like, obviously he comes from a family that are more caring and are, his mother certainly, she's a single parent, uh, but she has a young daughter and a young son who she looks after and wants the best for. And so maybe some of that has rubbed off. Mm. And she's portrayed as a kind of hippie or I'm not really sure what you would term her. Uh, Yeah, new age kind of vibe. Yeah, well, at one point, Addy talks about being, having gone to an, what's it called? An Ananda Marga school? And now, I mean, I haven't done much research in that, but it's like some sort of, I don't know, yoga, meditation, spiritual organization. So like what Mm. a school that teaches that would be like, I don't know. But certainly I imagine it talks about compassion and love and friendship and all of that, which I guess none of the other kids have Mm. experienced in the same way. It also feels like maybe Addy is a step further on than Connie and Siggy in terms of that they're just like, let's fight all the time. Let's be gross. Let's do stupid stuff. And he's kind of the mitigating force. He's trying to be like, come on, guys, let's not fight all the time. Let's not do crazy stuff all the time. And maybe in Bali, he senses, you know, if he brings someone else in, that he is a bit more sensitive, perhaps. Mm. And maybe he's searching for a more intimate connection than what he has with his current friends, which is more laddie bants. Laddie bants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe so. Uh, do you think... Addy is the leader of this group then because they I'm sure that in that voiceover he talks about Connie being the leader I think Connie's the leader on the surface sure and Addy is maybe like the moral guide yeah he's the one that's sort of yeah pushing them into certain directions but Connie I guess is like the loudest the most brash the one getting into the fights the one leading them on like missions to get into trouble he's the the ringleader but Addy is maybe the the one that everybody like actually likes and respects the most. Yeah, and I think that scene when the boys have been to the swimming pool with the girls and then go to get oh, yeah. drink from this party, I think that's kind of a representative scene of Connie and Addie's roles in the friendship group because you're like, okay, Connie gets angry oh, quickly God. and absolutely loses his mind Mm. Um, his fuse goes off and he starts beating people up left, right and centre but Addy knows that's wrong can't control Connie of course although he does pull him out of the party but he doesn't think that's the right thing to do and I guess those are the two character traits we see most of of both of them Connie like leading the way but no one else really wanting to follow Mm. Uh, but that scene is brutal flipping hell the, the scenes of like violence and and brawls and fighting in this are really like disturbing. There's the other one later where um, Addy ends up stealing, the, the guys come to beat up Connie and Addy ends up stealing their car. Mm. And that is really scary. Properly scary. Mm, because it feels, the violence feels very real. It doesn't feel stagey or glamorized or um, anything like that. Well, not at all. And I think growing up, I was aware of like, other groups of kids coming around the corner you're like oh shit run this is like they do want to beat us up or whatever and it's so true to life like there's no one else around where they are in Reykjavik like it's just quiet suburbia but under the surface these yeah tensions are running high and the violence like you say it's just all so brutal like that party this film it's weird because this film is looks so stunning Mm. But the violence is so brutal. It's like almost at a head with the with mm. the beauty of the film. So Connie goes barreling into that party, hits someone with a candlestick, oh. uh, some heavy object anyway. 
barrels like beats up a few people and then he pushes that door open into a girl yeah. which is like shit i definitely exclaimed out loud at that point like <laughs> fucking hell and then he just he doesn't stop punching at all and like something has to have happened to make a person like that i think and you kind of get drip fed reasons why connie might be the way he is like addy talks about he's mm. shit scared of his father for whatever reason and you know we'll find out later something else about him but like again it's all about these cycles of violence mm. and we've got bad bad dads bad dads bad dads back on the scene <laughs> it's always bad dad cycles of violence yeah it's interesting isn't it that you've got bad dads you've got certainly connie's dad feels like he must be a, a proper bully yeah uh siggy's dad while he may not be Physically threatening is certainly a horrible, horrible person. Mm. But Addy's dad, he's absent, but he's not a twat but, in that same way. Yeah, but the scene... Let's Well, let's talk about the scene with Addy's dad. Sure. Because it's interesting, because when he first comes into the scene, you're thinking, yeah, okay, this guy is, like, really nice. What's going on here? He's really reasonable. He's setting, like, boundaries and stuff. But as the scene kind of progresses... I think you do get an insight into the problems in that relationship. So, Definitely. you know, he says, I've stopped drinking. And then the mother says, how long for? He's like, 30 days. Oh, well, just spirits. I'm still, you know. And she says, you smell of beer. Yeah. So clearly that's something that's been swirling around in the past. And then also this sense of, yeah, he might be quite charming and affable. But when they're at the bus stop and he's saying bye, you can tell that Addy's saying, you know, can you, can you stay? Can you hang out mm -hmm. longer? And he's waving basically dismissing him he he doesn't seem to care that much it seems like he's turning up for the good time for a nice visit every month and then it's leaving. a token visit mm. but i mean do they even do anything like they plan to go swimming and he doesn't want to go swimming and then the next thing we see he's bought them both a hot dog and he's getting on a bus yeah and the fact that he cracks open a beer in front of him like yeah. he couldn't wait to get away from his son to do that yeah it's yeah problematic it's problematic it's we've seen so many drunk parents in these films from iceland and it's always the same but it, i don't want to compare bad dads really but it, he's sort of the softer edge of a bad dad <laughs> is that fair? he's like low down on the bad dad scale yeah he's not there yeah and he has his issues but he's not taking it out on addy yeah it's it's still mentally probably horrible but at least, yeah, at least Addy has his mum. Whereas, yeah, Bally has no one. Connie, I don't know, he can't remember about Connie's mum, whether he's got one. And then Siggy's mum has some sort of disease. It's interesting that Siggy and Connie don't get sort of, their family life isn't developed mm. in the same way as Bally and Addy. There is, I mean, there's not much to laugh about in this film. But Siggy's revenge on his dad is oh brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> horrible ah it reminded me of um have you ever seen this is a weird film to bring up during this uh discussion but van wilder party liaison no but does that have a colon in it van wilder colon party liaison it was basically um like it was ryan reynolds sounds terrible it was like a not a spin-off but like it was that american pie era so we're talking teens but yeah. and at college anyway at some point in that film someone fills cream donuts with dog semen instead of cream oh, no. and i well yeah you can see why i was reminded of that I can film see here because yeah siggy i mean it comes to something when you hate your dad enough to wank off a dog you need to finish what to make ice cubes so your dad ends up drinking the dog semen with his whiskey it's dark there is some really dark stuff in this film i think like uh -huh. the little details about the the grim realities of their life. It also made me think of um, a book, Shuggy Bane. I know I always bring up Shuggy you, Bane. You bring that up quite a lot. In fact, but, I bought I bought the follow-up to Shuggy Bane the other day, oh, right. having not read Shuggy Bane. Oh, well, you should read Shuggy Bane. But the kind of, just the details of growing up as a boy in this kind of grim, deprived mm. background. Everything just being kind of tainted or made dirty and gross and that was something i felt kind of throughout this 
Yeah, everything, it's almost tactile, isn't it? How mm. gross everything is. Yeah. I mean, obviously with Bally, it's more present. And I love that scene when they chuck him in the bath. Because <laughs> don't you think it's like the, the relationship, I think that's the point where you realise that, yeah, they're beating on each other. There's mm. all this like but there's love dry there. humping and whatever. Oh, yeah. It's all kind of violent but fun. And then you see the tender moment of mm. Connie actually like washing Bally's hair and wiping him down it's like ah That's a really important element here, isn't it? And there's quite a few moments like that of of the tenderness be- between the boys. Mm. You can uh, that kind of reinforce what they mean to each other. They're like banded together, the little band of brothers, in a war zone, basically, or the war zone of their the rest of their lives. Yeah, it's us against the world, basically. Mm. Uh, whether that's yeah abusive parents or the boyfriend of someone that Connie slept with. Because that's where half of the violence comes yeah. from. He like Connie kissed some guy's girlfriend, so then they need to gang up together to defend Connie. It's also quite a kind of comment on toxic masculinity generally, like mm. the way that masculinity is shown in a lot of these scenarios is violence, and that's the way to stamp your authority or to get some respect. In, yeah, like in this context. But then also there are those, like you say, those moments of tenderness that to counteract that. So there's a point quite near the end where um, Addy says, I don't feel good or something. He He's talking about like kind of in his mind. He's like, I don't feel, I don't feel well. And then somebody laughs and then maybe it's Connie says, that's a fine thing to say. Like, l- let leave him alone. Mm. This idea that. Maybe they, you know, they are trying to support each other. And again, this idea that they go about it totally the wrong way, but the final climax of the movie yeah. where they're, they, shall we talk about it? Yeah, let's talk about Bally's dad. The stepdad. final, conc- uh, yeah, climax of the movie where they gang up to go, to attempt to go threaten Bally's stepdad. Yeah. Obviously, they approach that in a really stupid way. Fair but. Way. The motivation behind it is to protect their friend and to and his sister and to and mm-hmm. to look after him. Um, it's not well executed, but again, that tenderness there of we can't let him live in this horrible situation. Yeah, and here's that's like you say another example of violence being used in a different way, like violence as defense, violence as protection, isn't it? Like. <laughs> It's stupid because they've all fallen out quite badly before this. And then they all come together. Connie's, Connie basically threatens them that if they don't do it, they're not friends, which is a strange thing to do. And Siggy actually does step out of the... Does he? Yeah, Siggy's not there, is no, he? No, he is there. He is there. Siggy, but he uh, says initially, I don't want to do it. And then yeah. he's like, if you don't do it, we're not being friends anymore. Yeah. And then he's like loitering at the back, basically. So yeah, he turns up but doesn't actually really do very much uh it's a terrible idea because i mean basically we find out bally's stepdad is olafur dari olafsson mountain man in most evil horrible oh, form so here. horrible isn't he yeah like everything he says like most lines that he delivers in this film are kind of if he was a nice man they would sound really lovely and 
like mm. he cared for his family. He's like, oh, come here, let's have a group family hug. And mm. um, but it's almost other people's reactions to him, isn't it? They yeah. give it all away. That they they do give that family hug, but they've all got like these kind of horror stricken, frozen looks on their faces. Yeah, it's like the you can see the sinisterness behind his eyes, and yeah, the palpable sense of like how scared they are to be near him. There's the scene when they're playing Jenga at the table and Svenny, his name's Svenny. Uh, he's he's like calls his daughter or stepdaughter in and Bali's mum is just like looking around like, oh my God, this isn't good. She knows exactly what's going on, mm-hmm. but is like powerless to do anything against him. Yeah, she was a really I thought, tragic figure, wasn't she? Mm. I thought she was well played. This This kind of lost woman who is so broken that she can't, stand up for herself in any way there's a point where they say well why doesn't your mum just divorce him and and he and then Bally says well he'd kill her yeah and she's so trapped but the way that she plays that role with these like darting eyes Mm -hmm. all the time kind of looking for like an escape route or a way out is really sad but then on the other side she's not doing anything to protect her children no what I don't know what what could she do like they're all just waiting for him to do something and end up back in prison again because that's the safest place for him to be and for them to be from him. Mm. So you, you sort of understand why the kids then want to... The idea is to threaten Svenny, right? Yeah. Not to actually do anything. Yeah. But then... Oh. I mean, they clearly look like teenage boys. They're wearing masks and balaclavas and And they're everything. not very tall. Like they're, Yeah, exactly. They're relatively big teens, but not adults. Putting on a deep voice saying, don't come back here again. But it's like, clearly you're in a cheat. You are not going to be able to stand up to this man who I don't even know how much he would weigh, but like the <laughs> weight he can like throw around mm-hmm. and that kind of terrifying combination of like, he's large, but he's also tall and somebody who's got just like so much presence. Physical presence, yeah. And so much kind of heft behind him mm-hmm. that there's no way a six, 14 year old boy let alone a 16 year old uh, <laughs> there's no way a 14 year old boy is going to be able to take him on no we see it play out don't we like Chekhov's gun actually yeah. doesn't quite play out the way Chekhov's gun usually yeah. plays out but it certainly leads to something bad like we know there's a shotgun in the cupboard and they yeah of course they go and get it and threaten Spenny with the gun just takes that split second of Connie to take his eye off the ball and then it all comes unraveling, doesn't it? And and that scene was horribly tense when they're creeping into the house mm-hmm. to try and threaten him. It's um, so quiet. Like the yeah. film has such a kind of otherworldly almost score. And then we get into that moment and it's almost just silent and we see them tiptoeing up the stairs knowing that this is a bad idea. It's, I mean, it's one of those classic things where they say before they do it, this is a bad idea, we shouldn't do this. And then it's like, well... Listen to your own advice. It's teenage boys again. Yeah. And I really liked the uh, the juxtaposition between, you know, we saw them choking each other out earlier mm, on yeah, in a yeah. friendly, in inverted commas, way. <laughs> uh, and then we see it again. So we sort of know how much Connie can take. But coming from this absolute beast of a man who mm. we know is a violent, abusive person, like he is going to kill Connie if mm. something isn't done. He's like so close. And when they were doing it to each other, I felt kind of like... Sick. Concerned, yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, it made me feel really horrible. But then seeing it again 
in the context of pure like i don't know attempted murder oh, it was it was really tough to watch like this film should be called like beautiful beings in brackets brutal just like <laughs> the whole thing is just all brutal like, yeah. we see so much violence on screen and but so much is still kept off but what we do see is just yeah really tough Wait, to watch you raise an interesting point there about the title what do you see as the title's meaning i've got no idea i hadn't thought about it beautiful oh, beings who spot. who were the beautiful beings don't you think it was these boys so they're like you know they are they were beautiful souls but they've been corrupted by the world that they have to inhabit yeah but who else would the beautiful be well certainly be? not the parents mm. Uh, yeah, I guess it must be. Um, I don't know what Berdremi means. Shall I have a quick translate? See if yes. that means anything else. Uh, nightmare. So not anything to do with beautiful beings. A very different title. Yeah, I guess it, it fits 100%. Yeah. Like this nightmare is, feels more appropriate. Yeah, and also plays into that idea of Addy's visions as well. Because mm, he really yeah. does have a couple of nightmares like the vision of the person in the garden or the black Ugh. figure in the corner of the room when they're the all black taking... figure in the corner of the room is really haunting that's properly like babadook yeah it? um and then that sort of almost like moving painting when addy visions that Svenny is doing something to his stepdaughter and we see the bruises mm. on her legs and in her thighs and he's standing in the corner of the room that's like proper nightmare fuel, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost like, yeah, like you say, an old oil painting or something. It's got a really... A, but again, it's it's all very like fleshy and gross mm -hmm. again. It's like almost bruised. Everything yeah. is bruised. And the colours are sort of purpley and mm. everything's kind of moving a little bit. Ugh. But I don't know in terms of beautiful, what what makes, to quote One Direction, what makes them beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, really combining highbrow and lowbrow here. Oh, for sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's the beauty in friendship. That group of friends, we, we know that they treat each other strangely, but there's beauty in mm. everything that leads to friendship. And... I don't know about the ending. We only see Addy and Bally. Mm. Is it their friendship? Are they the two beautiful beings? Because yeah. Connie and Siggy sort of disappear a bit. It's like almost like Addy invited Bally into the group to disrupt mm. the mechanics of that friendship. But it's almost just exploded that friendship mm. and left the two of them to go off on their own. I think what's sad is that, you know, in this film, you look at all the parents that are just terrible people and you think, what made them like that? And it's probably because they had terrible parents who made them like that. And so part of me is thinking, well, maybe Bally, because it seems at the end, like maybe Bally has been fostered. 
Um, yes, at he's that got point, yeah. much kind of cleaner clothes. Mm-hmm. He looks much healthier. His hair's been washed. His hair's been washed. And it feels like Bally has maybe been fostered. He's taken out of that scenario. Addy probably seems like he's going to take himself out of that scenario. Mm-hmm. Like after everything goes so wrong and he gets in so much trouble, it's clear that he would have the family support from his mum to step away from that. That maybe they're, you know, going to be able to escape from this environment and move on to something better. But it does feel like maybe Connie and Siggy are destined, as, as a lot of people are, to just become the next generation like that's going to continue this cycle. Yeah, and you re- really hope that that's not the case. We don't want Connie to become Svenny, do we? embittered and angry and having to put that anger into violence mm-hmm. and maybe addiction. Yeah. And we know that they've already been playing with substance abuse. Uh, they do take mushrooms. That's one of in you know one of the bigger scenes involving mushrooms where they've taken them. We see Addy's vision of him lifting up the lava fields, which is cool. And he captures the sun, and it, that sort of to me added like, well, obviously that's not real, that, mm-hmm. but they are they are taking mushrooms. So am I supposed to believe that the other visions are real? Yeah. Or? That- that confuses things a bit. Blurs things a little bit. So we know that they're playing with substance abuse. So it, it wouldn't be far fetched to think that, you know, as they grow up, Connie and Siggy could then, especially Connie, would continue that abuse with what we see in Let Me Fall, like much more hardcore drugs. It wouldn't be hard to get your hands on those, would it? The scenes I also found really stressful was like when older teenagers who were probably like 18 or something, mm. then like took them under their wing almost and started this party oh, like the way connie looks up to them yeah the that idea of like getting in with the wrong crowd mm-hmm. is very applicable here and getting into um scenarios and circumstances that you're just like totally in over your head and you're not mature enough to to deal with yeah and scary Addie can see that but has no real power to stop that happening uh because you know i mean the prime example is Blyer Henriksen's character, the skinhead who comes into the to Bally's house with Connie in a wildly different role to his one in Heartstone. To the point I didn't even realise it was him. Wait, I don't think I did realise it was him. Which yeah, one so, is he? So the skinhead is a beautiful blonde, in inverted commas, beautiful being from <laughs> yeah. Heartstone, like that was all like soft skin and lovely early teen heartthrob. And in this, he's like, oh my God, absolute horrible tattooed knobhead um but the fact that connie looks up to him is you can tell it's dangerous and worrying immediately uh and then i guess this leads on to the the scene we were talking about right at the beginning the cut scene so we're at this party aren't we that they're having at bally's house and they're all having quite a good time Mm. but they've taken mushrooms connie's taken too much and I mean, this is this is like the most hardcore thing mm. we've covered on this podcast. But Addy is suffering a little bit, but he kind of gets himself together. Siggy's having a great time just dancing and sort of he's got his eye on Bally's sister, but you know, nothing's happening there. And then suddenly Connie's not around. So Addy goes to Bally's bedroom where we see the hole in the door, which we saw, yeah. you know, violence and violence. It's really interesting because play violence and getting your aggression hole. out makes the hole. So Connie's made the hole. And then that hole is used to witness the most despicable act of mm-hmm. violence in this film. Which in the UK cut, you don't really see no. anything else. Did you I'm I'm intrigued by that. Did you know what was happening there? Yes. Absolutely. You could tell. Yeah. yeah. So the obviously Connie is getting raped by one of the older boys. I couldn't tell whether it was Simon or not. I think maybe it was. Yeah, he was a skinhead, but you don't see much of him. But like the only scene that stuck in my head, definitely for worse, was this scene from the first time I watched it. And I think they maybe cut two seconds out of this film for Mm. it to get its UK release. So it's released as a 15 in the UK? No, it's still released as an 18. Okay. But it was a compulsory cut of underage... Uh, abuse which if you look on the bbfc website it literally says a phrase something like that and so the icelandic release contains those i assume so yeah and it is it is really 
really grim and horrible. And I mean, yeah, I don't want to really paint a picture, but yeah. you see much more detail. detail of Connie in position. And it's, it's, it's bad. And it's like... I don't think for the storytelling purposes, having seen only the cut version, that that would have been necessary. Well, I think that's, it's the, yeah, that's for good the, to know. For the narrative, you know everything you need to know from what remained. I think so. I think for me, having seen it with that little bit cut, the, the shot itself feels a little bit messy. That scene feels weirdly cut because I guess there's not much you can do. Mm. other than chop that little bit out so it kind of jumps at one moment but perhaps having not seen that moment you wouldn't really notice. No I don't think you would. Which is great because yeah if you don't have to see violence like that I don't think you need to. Mm. Um, You get the the message and and then you totally sort of understand what if this has been a repeated thing why Connie is just so angry angry all the time it doesn't get reported I w- you wonder and hope whether it will continue now that it's been spotted. I didn't read it as a repeated situation. Did you not? I, I kind of read it as a one-off moment. Oh, really? But I guess it's it's not clarified either way, is it? No, perhaps, perhaps it's not a repeated thing. Perhaps, yeah, Connie's looking up to Simon as a new friendship relationship that he, someone he can look up to and Simon exploits that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if it was a repeated thing, there are examples of, of you know, people abused developing that kind of relationship with. Yeah. I mean, you can sort of see it in Bally's mum and dad. She doesn't want to let go. She won't leave him. And when she's around him, she acts like she tells him she loves him. She... Mm. She's trapped. She's trapped. And perhaps Connie is the same. I don't know. It's not fleshed out, is it? But we do know that he's had a traumatic mm. experience. And you can understand why they kind of then m- the move the way they do towards this act of aggression towards Svenny. Mm. It's all violence. This film is just violence, Violence begets violence. One thing I wanted to say, not to sort of lighten the mood a little bit, is I noticed that whatever area of Reykjavik they are sort of running around in. So, you know, you see them behind the houses in that little neighborhood where you've got the little picket fences running Mm. along. I was like, I recognize that that road, I think, from the video for Hoppy Potter by Sigurd <laughs> which I was like, oh, cool. It's, it's you know, the same location. Uh, obviously, we see the same locations pop up every time we watch films, but because Reykjavik is a tiny place. But what I thought was really interesting is the video to Hoppy Potter is old people running around playing like children. So you see them jumping in puddles, which is what the title of the song actually means. And you see them playing Knockdown Ginger. You see them playing like pirates with another group of old people mm. as children. And I just thought it was really interesting that it's like the opposite of what we've got here in this film. Yeah. We've got these old, these adults playing children innocently. Whereas in this film, we've got children like acting, trying to act as adults and yeah. not playing <laughs> as children at all, really. Mm. It's that kind of yeah weird juxtaposition between the two i just thought i don't know whether anyone has made that connection before (laughs) but yeah i just thought it was really interesting to see the same location but played out in like two mirror images of each other they probably have never made that connection rob that's the way your brain works i guess but yeah it was pretty cool i thought Anything else we want to talk about to try and lighten the mood a little bit? I mean, we should say the dog like was called Abba. the dog was called Abba. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all fun. I've got. That Probably is all I've got. Not named after the band, though, I'm sure. 
Like, I really like that everyone has nick- nicknames because mm. we've got, yeah, Bali, Adi, which is Sigi. short for Baldur and uh, Arnar, I think. Is it Arna? Siggy and Connie. Siggy and Connie, probably short. Alba's probably short for something. Pretty cool. But we should name these actors because, like, before this film, they were not actors. So I read that director had to find kids who could do these roles from just the, the general populace. Yeah, from the streets. And they basically trained them for a they year. did an amazing job. Didn't he? Yeah. Or didn't they? Everyone who was involved. But I think sometimes, you know, child actors, they are better when you just find kids and, and kind of put them in a scenario, like normal kids, rather than going for some kind of like stage school. I am an actor, child, yes. and I will act. Like these are for these kind of naturalistic roles. Completely. And I think the director was like very keen to get people to inhabit these roles, but when they're not on camera, not be those kids so the the kids are aware that this stuff happens no, no method acting yeah that, because that seems healthy. well apparently i don't know if this is actually true but in hearthstone uh, i can only assume it was the actor who played thor i think he sort of did become method and was thor oh, no. the whole time throughout filming which is probably dangerous for adults to do that really but for impressionable young teenagers yeah not good not good um so yeah i think the director was very much like making sure that the environment was when we're filming you're those characters when we're not you're yourselves you know um but yeah i'm gonna name all four of them because they were incredible weren't they each Um, of them was amazing they really were yeah and so individual their characters were so specific Distinct. as well weren't they yeah so as Adi we got Birgir Dagur Bjarkason who yeah reminded me of a kind of young Guy Pearce Looks yeah, a little, yeah see you see that yeah um Askul Eno Palmason was Bali Victor Benoni Benedictson Connie and Snorri Raun Frimanson as Sigi now yeah all unknown non-actors and yeah Absolutely Smashed brilliant. It. Yeah. And like to hold your own against Alafur Dari Olafsson. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's quite something, isn't it? So that's two films in a trot that Guzmundur Anna Guzmundsson has kind of brought brilliant actors out of unknowns and to keep seeing Blair Henriksen as well develop as an actor because you would, like mm. you said, you wouldn't know that it was him. Um, quite amazing, really. So it'd be really interested to see if these kids go on to do other things yeah like obviously everyone does multiple things but it would be great to see them acting again in the future so yeah good stuff brutal mm. horribly violent brutal beings brutal beings is that is that a better title yes it's probably not going to sell as well is it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we like this mm. um, and it's going to be out uh, to rent and buy i think on the 30th of january so recommend going to see it mm-hmm. would you yes i would but prepare yourself emotionally yeah for sure this is this is uh the toughest watch i think we've had isn't it and we've seen some tough things so yeah thanks ellie thanks rob and we'll be back again soonish see- with with something else see you soon Certainly not the easiest film to watch. In fact, it's pretty devastating in parts. But it is worth your time. And as I said, it's released digitally in the UK on the 30th of January. Today, as this goes out, hopefully. 
So sadly, no cinema release for Guzman Dorana Guzmanson's second feature film and collaboration with cinematographer Sturla Brandt Grovlin. So find the biggest TV you can and bask in the gorgeous cinematography and brutal violence like you're at the pictures. Let us know what you think on Instagram and Twitter or drop us an email at kvickminderpod at gmail.com. As I mentioned in the chat, this series will be dropping in a slightly different pattern to usual, but we will continue to record episodes over the coming weeks, and we will let you know before they hit your podcast feeds. So stay tuned. See you soon. Tack bless. Thanks and goodbye.